0: Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday, a fee. On Sunday, a king. Late down. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. I, I wonder if you've ever had the-, the ending of a particular novel or a movie spoiled for you. Have you ever, you ever had something spoiled for you? You're, you you didn't make it to the movie theater in time, and someone told you the ending to the movie you wanted to see, or uh, or maybe there was a really good novel, and everyone's reading it, and someone happened to let it slip what happens to the main character in the last act. Um, this is happening for me right now with the latest Spider-Man movie. I want to see it, but it's not on the streaming platforms yet. And apparently, it's a really fun movie because people keep trying to spoil it for me and tell me why it's such a good movie and why I should go see it. But Friends, I, I have to be careful what war, uh, places on the internet I look because I may just come across it on accident because I, I, I don't want anyone to tell me what the spoilers are in this movie, uh, if I can help it anyway. Uh, it's hard to do in the year 2022. Uh, at a previous church uh, setting, um, before I was here at Epiphany, I was talking about the um, immortal film Citizen Kane, right? The, the greatest film of all time, saith all the literary critics, and I had to be very careful about spoiler alerts. Uh, because I proceeded to talk about the ending of the movie, right? And, uh, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, right? (coughs) Rosebud, right? Well, what's Rosebud? I could tell you what Rosebud is, but at this church, I did tell them what Rosebud is, and people came up to me and said, hey, man, way to ruin the movie for me. (laughs) This movie came out in 1941. You had 70 years to see the movie. Ah, Anyway, so, spoiler alert. Um, But there are some people out there, actually. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you don't mind spoilers so much. Maybe you don't mind the spoilers so much. Uh, I um, Some people... This happened to me while I was reading... Um, uh, was it um, uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky? I was so anxious about how, how the novel would end uh, that I flipped to the end and read the last couple of pages just so I knew where everything was going to end. And uh, I, I did that... I, I don't do that for Spider-Man movies, but I do do it for Dostoevsky. And... Uh, uh, as I'm, I'm reading the end, I'm like, okay, well, well, well. now I know how it ends so I can kind of go back and get through some of the harder parts of the novel so I can see how the novel ends. And maybe that's kind of your speed. You're someone who likes to read the past last couple pages of a novel first uh, so you know whether it's worth finishing the novel at all. I mean, is it cheating? I mean, if it's a Dostoevsky novel, you're like, if you can just get through it however you can, God bless you. I mean, come on, 600 pages, really? Come on, man, like shorten it up. But, But my point being... Uh, is that some people actually like a spoiler, and they like to know where things are going. And they like to know what the end looks like. Uh, do you wish that you could flip to the end of your own life uh, for a spoiler alert to see how it would end? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, heck no. Some people are like, no, I don't want to know, but some people do. Uh, maybe you've got someone, maybe not for you, but someone you love, right? You've got someone in your own life where you're like, I really hope they turn out okay. Uh for me this was my friend Daniel. I was in seminary and my friend Daniel uh lived across the street and Daniel was fourteen years old. And uh Daniel was fourteen, he came from a very troubled household and uh when things got rough at his house he'd come over to my house uh and with me and my roommates seminary. So he'd like, come over and do homework every now and then and play video games with us, 14-year-old. Just a really fun kid with from a really rough home. And uh, we were happy to sort of be big brothers to him when he didn't have a whole lot uh, of positive guy energy in his life. And so I, I do this. I do this from time to time. I think of my friend Daniel, who's now uh, probably about 24, and I'm like, I really hope he's okay. I wish I had some sort of look into the future to know that he was okay and that he was going to be okay. And I, I, I like this kid. And I wish I had some sort of spoiler alert that, you know, he would follow his dream and join the Marines. That's what he wanted to do. He loved his ROTC work that he did. And I wonder if he's married. I wonder if he's trying to start a family. Um, and, and he's not on Facebook. I tried looking for him to get that spoiler in my life so I would know where my friend Daniel was. Maybe you've got someone in your own life where you're like, I just, I just hope things turn out okay for them. So maybe not for you, personally, you don't need to know where your story goes, but don't you maybe want a spoiler alert for somebody that you love, that you hope they turn out okay? Um, in 2011, there was a story, uh social science study, where they got a bunch of people together to try to test this out and learn about which people want spoiler endings, who likes spoiler endings and who doesn't. And they did this big study where they said, if, if we told you the ending, would you be more likely to want to go read the rest of it? Uh, So they told the the participants in the study, they said, here's the setup, here's the ending, but they didn't tell in the middle. And people tended to be more interested in the novel or the movie or whatever it was they're testing when they knew what the ending was going to be. In fact, when they read the whole thing, they said, once I know where the ending went, I could change my focus and I could not ask the question of how is it going to end, but How are we going to get there to that ending? And so it turns out, according to this social science study from 2011, uh, spoilers maybe don't matter so much. Maybe, maybe, it's not the destination that matters, it's the journey of how we get there. The the scholar who was writing on the study was uh, Stanley Fish, the author and scholar, and he said this, he said, If the Hunger Games books are so shallow that they can be spoiled by a simple plot revelation, then they're not very great books. But if the Hunger Games books are a serious accomplishment, then no plot revelation can spoil it. It was 2011, so, you know, Hunger Games, that's what was in the air 10, 11 years ago. Lord have mercy. Anyway, uh, so i want to talk to you this week about the great spoiler alert. Uh, If you want to be surprised at how the Bible ends... Uh, this sermon is not for you, because we are in Revelation 22 today, and I'm going to spoil the end of the Bible for you. Um, you've had time to read it, friends. No, I'm kidding. But, but the, the point being here, friends, is, is we're at the end of the Bible today. The lectionary takes us there, uh, that the assigned readings for the day point to the end of the Bible, but they don't just really point to the end of the Bible, do they? They, they point not just to the end of the book of Revelation or the end of the, the Bible itself. They actually point to the end for you, too. In some sense, this chapter of Revelation is the spoiler for the end of your life. Where will you end up? Where will you be in the future? What will life be like for you after we have passed along the veil of death and returned to Jesus? Well, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you about it today. So allow me to spoil the ending of the Bible. Allow me to spoil the end of the book. Allow me to spoil the end of Revelation and to, spell, uh, and to, to spoil the end of your life. I'm going to do that today. And it takes some chutzpah for a clergy person to get up here and tell you, hey, I, I know what the end of your life looks like. That's exactly what I plan to do. So let's get into it friends. How does the book of Revelation end? Well, the exact details are vague, but the pattern is there. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. At the end of the book of Revelation, all of the forces of creation in the cosmos that have arraigned themselves against God, forces like Satan and death and hell, they are all defeated. Uh, Jesus is described as coming in on a great white horse, leading a multitude of saints in an immortal army that vanquish and conquer all of the things that are wrong with this world and all of the opponents of God. And so all of the faithful Christians who have been under the thumbs of these great oppressive forces are freed. And once these forces have been exterminated, God says, okay, it's time to reveal the great plan, a new heavens and a new earth. And so the curtain gets pulled back, and this heaven and this earth, the text uses this language, they pass away, meaning the things that we take for granted about uh, this planet, this cosmos, everything that we think is sort of sure and fixed, it all passes away, and we are led into a new cosmos, a new heavens, a new earth. And the focal point of this new heaven and this new earth Is a new Jerusalem, a new city of God, as it were. And uh, the Bible, again, it's apocalyptic imagery. So this is maybe more metaphor and poetry than like blueprint. But the the imagery that's used in Revelation is that this city is going to be um, massive, massive. I mean, like a thousand miles long and a thousand miles wide, just a massive, massive city. And the city's gonna be so massive, and it's gonna have this massive wall around the outside and the foundation of the city. It's going to be made of precious gems like opal and topaz and uh, amethysts. Beautiful, beautiful gems. And not only will this, this massive city have a beautiful gemstone-encrusted foundation, but the streets are going to be paved with gold, right? The thing that we think is so precious and valuable in our time, it will be the thing that we walk over with dirty feet in the kingdom of heaven. This precious minerals will be used for that. And this city, amongst many, many other descriptions of it, this city will have no temple in it. Right? Uh, if you, The old Jerusalem, there was a lot of focus on the temple in the middle of the city. This city, no temple. Because God will dwell in this city with the rest of us. God will be there. There will be in the middle of it less of a temple and more like a throne room where God reigns and there is no contest to his rule on earth. And in our reading today, we get to, to some of that more reading, right? More of that, that beautiful description about a river that flows from the throne that's uh, beautiful and clear and glassy, and it flows throughout the city. And this is the Bible's way of saying that in a world of arid climates and the Bible's way of saying in a world with a lot of desert and, and, and not regular rainfall, you're not going to have to worry about water. You're not going to have to worry about thirst. And then it says, too, there are going to be trees that line the river, uh, trees which uh, produce fruit every month, right? When do we have harvest season? We have one season a year. But the Bible says that in the, in the kingdom of God, the trees are going to produce fruit every month, which is a, a Bible way of saying in a pre-grocery store world, in kind of a grain silo world where you had to store up enough from a year and hope that the marauders didn't take it or the, the bugs didn't eat it. You don't have to worry about food. That's what the city of God is like. In fact, you're not even going to have to worry about your power bill because um, the light source that we call the sun is not going to be part of this new world. In fact, the sun uh, and and, and night itself will pass away because the radiance of God's glory, the light from Jesus itself is going to be so potent and so powerful uh, that you won't need light switches and light bulbs. (laughs) You won't need uh, to go into a dark closet and flip a light on. You won't need flashlights. Um, your cell phone will not have a little button on it to turn your camera flash into a cell phone so that you can find um, the, uh, the little screw that you dropped on the ground. Not that I'm talking for personal experience yesterday. But, but, uh, but there's a sense where, where all of these crazy, beautiful uh, bits of poetry and imagery about the new heavens and the new earth are coming together, and it's all wonderful. But there's one line I want to draw your attention to that I think gets to the heart of the situation which is, doesn't have to do with walls or or, or or rivers or city, but it does something that I think is it's going to hit home for you today, which is this. The scripture says, No longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed. Now, for those of you who have Bible ears, your ears perked up when you heard that language of accursed, I think. Because if you spent any time in the Bible, you know that that, Curse is a Bible word. It's part of the biblical lexicon, as the fancy people say. A curse is one of the Bible's um, consequences for breaking God's law. So whenever you see curses being flung about in the Bible, the idea is that someone has uh, broken God's law and they're experiencing a temporal uh, either punishment or natural consequence, or both at the same time, for the actions that they have engaged in. The first curses appear in the Adam and Eve story. After the forbidden fruit is imbibed, uh, God outlines the great curses that fall on the world as a result. Um, Work becomes toil. Men and women fight. Snakes in particular are cursed, but the ground of the earth is cursed as well. Um, Death is given free reign in the world. Those are all part of the, the consequences of what happens after the first disobedience. And those are all the curses that come into the world as a result. And even when you get into the law of Moses a little later in the Bible with the Ten Commandments and the kosher laws and the cleanliness laws and all of those laws, the whole point of them, especially in Deuteronomy, you can read, there are so many blessings for people who keep them, but there's a very, very long list of curses for people who don't keep them. Things like famine and drought and military conquest. Uh, Things like um, locust swarms and um, uh, uh, just overall terrible things. Warfare, destruction. The Bible outlines a number of these curses. Why? Because they have broken God's law and not followed the commands. But when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus' death and resurrection completely flips this notion of curse on its head. Because as Paul writes in Galatians 3, um, he says this, For those who rely on the law, the works of the law, are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things in the book of law and do them. So what Paul says is, listen, curses are everywhere. Curses are here, there, everywhere because God's law is so big and so powerful and so beautiful and so good and so holy that we can't keep up with it. It is a bar too high for our high jump. It is a standard too high for us to meet. And so Paul says we all have curses in our life from not obeying God's law. So far, so good. But there is more to the story because of Jesus' death and resurrection. What does Paul say? He says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Paul is saying what makes Jesus' ministry so remarkable is that all of the curses of this world have fallen on God's faithful. Right? Bad karma, if you will, for breaking God's law. But Jesus acts as this sort of spiritual magnet in which all of those consequences are sucked toward the dying Jesus on the cross, all of the just punishments we would receive for breaking God's law, all of the natural consequences that we might experience, Christ takes them upon himself on the cross, and in his death, all of our curses die with him. Um, what's going on here, friends, is, is, is we're using this curse language to get a point, to the point that there is nothing accursed in heaven because Jesus has taken care of the curses. Jesus has taken care of the curses. It's John's way of saying, in this new heaven and this new earth, nothing will be cursed. And that's that's really good news for you and for me and for um, anyone else who's experiencing curses in their lives, right? Um, this language of curse can be so foreign, but... When you think about how it pans out in our day-to-day life, um, I I think you can get a a feeling for the own curses that you uh, live with and experience. I have a friend uh, who's a very aggressive New Jersey driver. Yeah, I hate him too, but he's still my friend. And uh, he's a very aggressive driver, and I ride with him occasionally, very fast, very abrupt stops. He doesn't mind. I do, because I'm doing this thing. And uh, a number of years ago, he was telling me this story. He was driving on a freeway uh, in Pittsburgh. There was a rainstorm and after the rainstorm there was water on the road and he hydroplaned, and he was the first car and, and knocked the dominoes of other cars from, from ramming into the back of one. He caused a, a five or six car pileup on the freeway, just bam, 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 bam. And um, he caused this car pileup and he's sitting there dealing with it, and, and, and of course insurance jumps in and they're swapping numbers and they're getting everything, but he, he finally gets a letter, and a letter's from the, the, um, insurance, his own insurance company. And the insurance company says, hey, heads up. One of the people you hit is is coming for you personally. They want to sue you over some of the consequences of this accident. And this is just our letter warning you that our uh, legal um, contract means we don't cover personal lawsuits. So my friend had gotten a letter because of his bad driving uh, in which he was due to receive... a um, a massive lawsuit which would uh, he told me he said something to the effect of this he said I don't make any money right now but now I never will is what he said Um, because this legal Damocles sword was just hanging over his head and he didn't know how he was going to get out of it like he's experiencing a curse right not like a witch doctor voodoo curse not like a, a you know a hex from a witch but just the natural consequences of not loving one's neighbor and driving recklessly I have another friend um, who's a very snarky person, and this very snarky person was very snarky online. And uh, he once told a very well-regarded public figure what he really thought about that very well-regarded public figure in an angry and unfiltered way. But then the the angry, uh, the public figure that he um, uh, said he mean things to, uh, did the retweet thing, and he put it in front of his million followers. And so all of a sudden, my friend sort of gave his vitriol to the, the, the famous person. And then all of the famous person's followers brought the vitriol back on him. And my friend said for two complete days, every five minutes, his phone would ding. And when his phone would ding, he'd look at it. And he, there would be somebody telling him a very nasty thing about his uh, life or maybe his mother or some other terrible thing. And that went on every five minutes for two days. He had to shut his phone off. He had to let it go and just step away from his phone. Um, And and part of that, of course, is is the the nastiness that the world can be. But part of that, he was contributing to it. And he received the curse again of not loving his neighbor. And he was experiencing what may have been a natural consequence of his behavior, but also maybe uh, the, the consequence of not following God's rules at the same time. A curse, friends, is the thing we say to our spouses that can never be unsaid or a thing that hangs around our marriage like a slow circling vulture, right? When you say the thing and you know you shouldn't have said it and it's there and it hangs there in the air and it stays there and you try to kind of put it away but it doesn't work, right? That's one of those curses. A curse is a thing, um, the the injury that we thought we could put off, that we were better than that and so we didn't go to the doctor in time but now we kind of have the limp, And there's actually serious injury, and if we could have dealt with it if we had just gone to the doctor at first, but we didn't, so it's still with us even now, and we can't really do anything about it now, right? That's a a curse that comes from our pride. A curse is an estranged family member, the unresolved conflict, the emotional wound that still lingers years down the road. All of us, in some capacity or another, live a life where we experience consequences from straying from God's law. And I know what it looks like in your life, uh, in my life. It's going to manifest in different ways in your own life. But we all, friends, have these curses. And yet, spoiler alert, they're not going to make it into heaven that this great and beautiful city with opal and topaz and amethyst foundations and gold streets and crystal clear streams and delicious fruit trees always in bloom and, and no light bill, we also learn that amongst all of those beautiful things in that final city, there will be nothing accursed. cursed. That is because, friends, Christ is the great curse magnet. He takes the curses that we have And his death and resurrection says, they're now mine, and my people shall one day be free. So if we're going to summarize the end of the Bible, we might say it like this succinctly. Those who believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and repented of their sins and trusted the world to come, uh, they they asked God to fix what's wrong with them, and they said, I'm sorry, and they trusted God to, to come back and fix the world. Those people are going to inherit a new world. This world is to be marked with God dwelling among his people, with Jesus being the king of this world. It's not just that we die and go to heaven and play harps and ride on clouds and have halos like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons used to joke about. Um, in this new heaven and new earth, everything will be provided for. The physical stuff, the food, the water, the shelter, but also the rest of it too. Um, The the broken promises, the heartbreak, the inner wounds, these are things that God will work through for us as well. No more drama, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more hurts, no more fear. This is what it means that nothing accursed will be in heaven. All manner of things shall be perfected. One final example before I close today. Um, This is perhaps most clearly articulated for one special character in the Bible, there's one special character in the Bible that I think about from time to time who had this personal, um, uh, immediate uh, spoiler alert for the end of his life. And uh, this person uh, was given a name in the Bible, but he's actually unnamed. Have anybody heard of St. Dismas before? St. Dismas, of course not. Nobody here comes from like a Catholic background, uh, really, that would know that. St. Dismas um, is the name of the thief, the repentant thief, given, it's not his actual name, we just gave him a name to help remember who he is, uh, to the thief on the cross, the repentant thief on the cross. And as he joins Jesus in this great curse of being crucified, right? Crucid is the man, any man who hangs on a tree, this cursed thief stands, well, uh, nailed to the cross, and he dies this slow and painful death. Um, He is given by Jesus his great spoiler alert. Uh, he's his the ending is spoiled for this man because after acknowledging that Jesus does not deserve to be crucified and asking Jesus for a word of with a word of repentance for mercy Jesus says to him what today you shall be with me in paradise <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> the ending for that thief is right there Talk about giving away the ending, right? Here, the curse of the law has crushed this man, Dismas, um, justly punishing him by a legal Roman code. Um, but the, the, the twist is there. The twist is ruined. Um, he will not be surprised when he wakes up to find himself in the arms of a loving God, who welcomes not the perfect but the repentant. And so the surprise is spoiled. We know where Dismas will end up, and by proxy, um, we know where you'll end up too. We do. We know that this city is coming because it has been marked and sealed by Jesus' death and resurrection as a true promise. That despite um, all of the great uh, flowery imagery of jewel-encrusted walls and great pearly gates and um, rivers as clear as crystal and and, uh, roads paved with gold, we know that Jesus is there to welcome us that we are indeed welcomed as repentant sinners with this thief. The spoiler is for us. Today, you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says to this man. And Jesus says, and one day we, you and I, shall be too. So I hope I didn't ruin your day by giving you a spoiler. When you die as faithful followers of Jesus, you will end up joining a myriad of believers and thousands of angels and all sorts of heavenly hosts uh, in a perfect, as perfect as any world can be found, that is where you shall be. You may ask, "Gee, does the new Batman movie have a happy ending, or does my fer- favorite character get out of the novel?" Um, and that's for you uh, to deal with on your own in this heavenly term, uh, in this earthly realm. I can't tell you, friends, how you get there, but I can tell you, you will get there. Thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection, all your curses have been removed and a joyous life in the new heavens and the new earth awaits you. I hope I haven't spoiled it too badly. In Jesus' name, amen. Pennsylvania.